always happens, but whatever. Yeah. And All right. We are We're rolling. Going. No topic off limits. Tough questions. Manly perspective. Welcome to the unsafe space. Welcome to the unspace, unsafe space, Quaid. Welcome to the unsafe space, Dax. Thanks, bro. Well, uh, just a quick uh, reiteration of what we're doing here. Uh, the unsafe space is just a place where me and Dax basically get together and talk about whatever we think is important and whatever we want, frankly. And we share our opinions and we're not shy about doing it. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And to start things off, we're going to go with manly moments since the last time. So, Dax, what was your manly moment since the last podcast? My manly moment, um, the other day, took a break from finals and I went in and just sketched out a couple of goals, long-term, long-term goals for investments and, you know, things like that. So cool. finances mostly. Taking control of your financial life. Exactly. Awesome. Dude, gotta love that Dave Ramsey system, right? Dave Ramsey's the best, man. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, for me, um, I'm. you might be able to hear it uh, on the podcast, but I'm just kind of getting over kind of a gnarly cold. Kind of took me out all week. But I, I ended up having to take a day off uh, early this week because I was really under the weather. And... Before you start calling me a wimp, I came back the, the next few days, and I've worked extra hours, and I've been making sales happen at my job. So, you know, kind of coming back strong and, you know, working hard to provide well for my family. Cool. Thank you, man. <clears throat> All right. So, our topic tonight actually comes from something Dax wrote. So we take each of our topics from uh, our posts that we do on our Instagram page. Uh, so go give the Instagram page a follow if you're out there and you haven't done it yet. Uh, but Dax and, and I, we rotate uh, writing these different posts that we think are, are kind of cool or important topics. And Dax wrote this last one. And I liked it so much, I thought... To introduce it, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. So it starts off. Clean your room. Seems simple enough. You enter the place which looks like a war zone, tidy up, and you get positive emotion in return. Or is it more significant than that? Many individuals lament, what's the meaning of life? It's a fair question. Life can be difficult or even downright unbearable at times. But there's a solution hiding where most don't look. Where do most people look? They look at the macro, something that will allow them to change the world, something so grand that the only thing that trumps the largeness of its scope is often the frustration that it brings. After all, what impact can one little person have on the whole world, especially when we can't control events in our own nation, community, family, or even our own lives? Our own lives. Maybe that's where this conversation should start. What if we more fully mastered ourselves? What possibilities would be in front of us? Could we eventually move beyond what we can directly control and enter the realm of influencing on the familial, communal, national, or worldly scale? Following the acceptance of the responsibility to clean your room, 
perhaps your sights then fix on cleaning the house. Maybe that clean house allows your family to feel more comfortable at home. Maybe being comfortable at home results in better relationships between family members. Maybe a tightly knit family is what the community needs in order to be peaceful and productive. Maybe peaceful and productive communities create great nations which positively impact the world. Maybe during this process, life becomes more meaningful as the impact of the micro, which ripples through the macro, is understood. It is not that we should ignore macro-sized issues, but that we should attack them on the proper order, in the proper order, beginning with the micro. So don't be the fool marching for social justice while losing the battle for their personal life. Clean your room. I love that. And as most of you out there listening can probably tell by now, uh, Dax and I are big fans of Jordan Peterson, Uncle Jordan. (laughs) You can tell this was heavily inspired by that, but I think it's a really important message. So Mm -hmm. Dax, do you want to expound on it a little bit? Yeah, you know, I especially that last part, you know, you don't want to be that idiot that's out there marching for social justice, losing the battle for their personal life. I feel like you see that a lot. And one of the funny things that I've heard pointed out is just like, it's just that fact, you know, it's like, you think you're so, so competent as to, you know, make decisions on such a macro scale, like social justice, but your personal life is a mess you can't even clean your own freaking room so i don't know i find it ironic and this uh yeah like you said this was influenced heavily by jordan peterson i'm in the middle of his second book right now so if you ever have the chance i definitely suggest reading that should we give the book a plug what's the book the first book is 12 rules for life yeah an antidote to chaos by jordan b peterson the second one is um beyond order 12 more rules for life and it's actually rather than being an antidote to chaos it's called beyond order meaning when order becomes too oppressive you have to have something creative in order to rejuvenate it he talks more about that in the second book that's why the words of a very wise band deviate from the norm (laughs) exactly well it's cool too because that's a rush lyric by the way of course so okay just for those of you who aren't as you know, astute to know that. <laughs> but the yin yang is, is black and white, and that's why his books, the first one's white and ended up to chaos, and then the second one's black, and it's uh, beyond order. So it's supposed to represent the yin yang, that balance. And so it's they're really awesome books. We can even read some of the some of the rules maybe. My favorite so far is Do Not Hide Unwanted Things in the Fog. Yeah. He talks about St. George and the Dragon and the story of how, um, I might butcher this, but the story of St. George was the village That's one of had King been Arthur's knights. He had right. been sacrificing, well, the village had been sacrificing virgins to this dragon to appease it so that it wouldn't come destroy the village. And um, eventually he got to the point where he's like, you know, I'm not going to leave this dragon out there in the fog. I'm going to go confront it. And he does, and he becomes the hero, but... Kills the dragon. Kills the dragon, and then obviously saves the day. But the idea is that you don't leave something out in the fog, because normally when you do that, it comes back a lot bigger. If you think about that in maybe a financial perspective, it's like, 
okay, you leave your, your finances or, you know, your debt out there in the fog and you keep swiping the credit card, guess the what's credit happening, card bill man? just keeps racking up. It's growing. It's like a dragon that you just keep feeding to appease that you leave out there Interest in the fog. Interest rates keep going up. And that's why you need to confront reality with your eyes wide open. That's why also, like, going along with the post, you want to start with the, the things that are right in front of you. Clean your room. Um, those kind of things. Yeah. No, I... I clean the rooms one of the rules from the first book and um i've basically listened to and watched every single lecture jordan peterson's ever given i think i just went on a crazy jordan peterson binge mm-hmm. um about a year and a half ago and now that he's kind of back and healthy again he's starting to do his stuff again it's really fun to you know kind of watch him kind of come back into you know, inject his philosophy into what's going on in the world right now. That being said, um, you know, this rule that Dax is talking about, clean your room, that's probably Jordan Peterson's most famous phrase. Um, It's one of his more uh, noteworthy things. He's, you know, because a lot of people attack him for a lot of things, and he's, you know, known as the guy that's just you know, it's not a real radical message. It's, hey, why don't you stop trying to change the world? You can't together. even you can't even keep your room in order kind of a thing. But just applying that to myself, I've noticed that literally and figuratively, right? If your room's clean, it's a better headspace for yourself. It's a better environment to be living in and it it makes you more calm and collected in the way your thought processes occur and, and go through things. And I'm, I'm blessed to have a clean wife who, who does a good job of keeping our house in good order. So that's awesome. But I, I wanted to ask you this too, Dax, because I've been thinking about kind of what we would talk about with this. And you're in college. I'm graduated, obviously, and I'm in the, you know, workforce and I'm, I'm out being the breadwinner and stuff, but, um, you know, you're in college and that's kind of the stereotypical time when a lot of people, you know, think that they can take on these big worldly matters and they have to be frank, basically zero zero life experience. experience. And, you know, and they're trying to tell these people who've been around for decades and have life experience oh, well, you could make things better if you just did this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? The word that comes to mind is arrogance. I mean, if you don't have the humility to think that maybe somebody knows something a little bit better than you, especially if they've been around longer and have a lot more experience that's applicable, mm-hmm. then it's pretty it's pretty arrogant. I think it's funny how absolute an arrogant person can be in saying, like you said, you should just do this. And they, they say it as if it's something, you know, simple and matter of fact and straightforward when in reality, most decisions, I mean, are nuanced. And so I think... There's give and take with every decision and a lot of times... But I think they'll often oversimplify something and then they'll make a claim about it. And that oversimplification kind of ignores a lot of the nuance behind... Yeah, for example, like socialism. Let's take that as an example, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, there are poor people and rich people in the world. How do we solve it? Let's take the money from the rich people and give it to the poor people and everybody's going to be the same and everyone's going to be happy, right? And they look at you like, duh. Like, duh. I'm, like, I'm 100% right. Yeah. It's that simple. And they don't... You're just... And then they... But and then, then they'll put a label on you. Yeah, and then you try to tell them, 
well, you know, it's been tried in 30 different countries across the world and it's ended in human disaster and murder and genocide every single time. It doesn't take into account uh, human nature, how people are, the value of working and earning for yourself, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. There's a lot of different things that go along with that of why it doesn't work. But then they come back with, well, we just haven't tried it the right way yet. Yeah, which that's such bullcrap. Obviously, I think socialism, <laughs> I love this. Um, I'm not sure where I heard it, but I've heard people say that socialism has more to do with envying the rich than really caring about the poor. That's what it comes down to, people that just want to really tear down the rich. I mean, you have both people that want to tear down the rich and maybe some people who are genuine that just want to help the poor, but yeah. obviously we know the system doesn't work. It's greed. But and those two are in the same camp. Yeah, it's greed, and it's breaking one of the Ten Commandments that holds civilization together because yeah. newsflash for anyone out there, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses are one of the founding building blocks of our Western civilization. One of those Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. Mm-hmm. Right? Basically saying... You don't want to, I heard it explained really well just a minute ago. Um, It's not just saying I'm jealous that you have that. Dax, you have a really nice hat or a really nice car, let's say. And man, I'm really jealous that Dax has that really nice car. That's not coveting. That's jealousy. Jealousy is I want that so Dax can't have it. And I think that falls into the socialism, communism camp a lot easier. But people that just want, yeah, they're, yeah. Just, they're the types that are going, no one should ever deserve to drive a car like that. Yeah. Mostly because in their own mind, they're thinking, I will never get a car like that. But how arrogant is that? Just going back to your point, saying, well, it's failed all these other times and all these other places, but if I'm the one in charge... I could do it correctly. How arrogant is that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I also think what people don't take into consideration is um, obviously they're like, oh, the leadership has to, you know, implement it right and correctly. But in reality, you have to have perfect people that are completely unselfish, and that just ignores human nature. Yeah. What There has to be some sort of an earning incentive. There has to be an earning incentive for people to actually go out and work. And what capitalism does is, let's say there are greedy people. How does a greedy person get ahead? They have to help other people. So it creates an incentive, even through maybe some less than virtuous, you know, motivations. But my, it makes them f- act in a certain way that, that helps other people. What is, it, what is the meaning of a dollar? It means I've provided it's your some, labor. Some, side of, some sort of value to it's somebody else. It's the value for your labor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that labor for who? Yeah. Not for myself, for somebody else. For someone else. else. Yeah. Exactly. One of my favorite quotes about this is from Churchill, and it's, or at least it's attributed to Churchill most of the time. Um, but he said, capitalism is the worst form of economic policy, except for all the others. Yeah. So it's definitely not perfect. It's man. not perfect, but it takes into account human nature, allows for freedom. And then kind of just go for it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which, it's not a perfect system, but we're not perfect people, and we never will be. And so, therefore, it's important 
to take that human nature into account and to put a system in place for imperfect people. Yeah. And, and to realize, and here's where the wisdom comes in, is you will not have equality of outcome no matter what. People that strive to enforce equality of outcome, they fall, first of all, they fall into that arrogant and naive camp. Arrogant. One of the two. Or yeah. sometimes both. And, and, that's, or. and that's dangerous if it's both. And what happens is it always ends in tyranny and dictatorship and it usually takes a lot of bloodshed tears and toil to oust them from their seats of power right well and taking it back to a religious perspective i mean obviously we know that we had a pre-earth life where there was a war in heaven and there were two plans presented god's plan and satan's plan god's plan was that we would have free will and that there would be inequality of outcome right Equality of testing. Everyone life. would be tested, but yeah. everyone would, you know, by through compensatory grace, everyone would eventually be dealt with fairly. Explain compensatory grace. Uh, just that eventually everyone would, you know, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, come out treated, being, having been treated justly. But that's not my point. Satan's plan had the whole equality of outcome thing. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah, take away people's agency yeah. so that everybody returns to heaven. Exactly. So you take that on to an economic scale, you have the same freaking thing happening. You have capitalism that says, you know, we're all going to have unequal amounts of wealth. Maybe in the end, depending on mostly um, how you act and what kind of work you put in. Or you have socialism, on the other hand, that takes away a lot of freedom or agency and then it leaves everyone with the same really crappy outcome. Yeah. It's either not... unequal amounts of wealth or equal amounts of poverty. Yeah. Another good... Well, just to what you're saying, it's always struck me as really interesting. The war in heaven was fought over God's plan and Satan's plan, right? Mm -hmm. Lucifer fell, becomes Satan, is cast out of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. He's got his, his plan to make to take everyone's agency away and have equality of outcome like you said yeah. it's always struck me as very interesting that no matter what you can always boil every political dispute in this life down to those two things liberty agency or on the other hand equality of outcome without agency without liberty and it's really interesting. It's like the same fight is occurring here that was occurring there. We it know rhymes. That it, we know that it's the same fight. It's just a different phase of God's plan, essentially. Yeah. And not to get too religious, but yeah. it's that's always struck me as very interesting. Well, whenever we bring up religion, it's because values come from religion, and then we try to apply them to politics and the rest of life. So I feel like a yeah. lot of the time... When we do talk about it, it's just, it's applicable. So. Yeah, definitely. But well, I know that, that a lot of people might be thinking to themselves, you know, if it all comes down to liberty versus, you know, maybe limiting liberty or agency, well, how do you how do you square that with the abortion um, issue? And what I say to that is the choice is made <laughs> when the baby is created. A baby, once formed, isn't a choice then. Meaning, exactly. Yeah, once... Once you've had sex, you've made your decision. Yeah. 98% of the time. And there are consequences there are, to decisions. Yep. And, and there are maybe the 1% that 
you know, pregnancies that are caused through other things, but I like the whole, uh, what's the guy with the mug club? What's his Steven name? Crowder. I like his argument. Just give him that, you know? Okay, let's say that's all in the, the argument, table. you give it to him. Yeah, yeah, in the argument, you give it to him, and you say, Rape okay. Rape and incest is what he's saying. That's 1%. Let's talk about the other 99% of babies that are aborted just because they're an inconvenience. Yeah. You know? It's like you made your decision. You have to own up to the consequences. With agency comes accountability with responsibility you have to answer for what you did with agency comes responsibility right yeah exactly freedom brings responsibility and that's kind of wrapping us back into the original topic we kind of went into the weeds a little bit but i think those are good examples and good good points to make to this topic you get a lot of people without life experience a lot of people with um little to offer other than having been playing video games in their parents' basement. Video Sorry, games, we got to rip on video games every podcast. Freaking video games, No, but man. seriously, you get people that have no experience other than, you know, steering some character with a sword around in a video game in yeah. their parents' basement, and then they come out, they go to college, they hear one professor tell them, oh, this is all this leftist ideology, and they think, oh, I know now. Yeah. No, you don't know, actually. You yeah. really don't. And you don't know how dark that rabbit hole can get either. Um, that being said, how do you make sense? I like what you, I, I like what you, how how you kind of put that in in your in your post is how do you make sense of this crazy big world then? Because really, what it is is. Uh, Okay, at the end of the at the end of the day, some people are just trying to find a foothold and just start mm-hmm. in life. They're trying to say, "Okay, well, I'm trying to do something good somewhere." All right, nobody yeah. likes that there's poor people. Yeah. Right. But what you do if you really want to make a good impact is you start with yourself. You start with number one, and you start with the smallest thing that you can fix. Mm-hmm. You fix that one thing, and that little thing becomes a little piece of heaven rather than a little piece of hell. Yep. And then it starts to, like, you make your bed in the morning. I heard an awesome uh, graduation ceremony speech given by some admiral. admiral. Yeah. He's awesome. He's, but he's, he's said, the same, same concept, make your bed. Rule number one is make your bed every day no matter what, and even if you have a shitty day, at the end of the day, if everything had gone wrong, you come home to a made bed. You yep. win that first battle every day, and at least you won one battle. Then in, my, in Quaid's world, if you make your bed then you go to the gym you knock it out you have a great workout boom you've knocked out two things now you're cooking with steam right then you eat a healthy breakfast then you get ready for the day get to work on time start working do the things you've laid out for yourself to do at work you make the cells you you provide for your family you come home on time you you hang out with your kids you hang out with your wife now all of a sudden you've been a good provider you've been a good individual and you've been a good family man then at the end of the day, you can sit back and go, wow, I really did something today. I really lived life the way I was supposed to live life. But it all started with those little things at the start of the day. That's how you gain steam and that's how you gain momentum. And I like how Jordan Peterson um, puts it, is if you do something half-assed or halfway or not as good as you know you could have done it, and you let it fester, and you let the mess become bigger and worse. You leave that it in be- the fog, it grows. Well, what he says, his terminology is, that becomes a little piece of hell. 
and people instinctually ignore that hell. You don't look at it. it it's you gnawing at the back it. of your mind. It's it's dragging you down. You don't want to confront that little piece of hell. But if you all of a sudden get up and you start doing your thing, you make your bed, you clean your room, you've now changed that little piece of hell into a little piece of heaven. Now how much better is your day going to be? And I think it makes a big difference whether or not you're doing it voluntarily or whether someone's telling you to do it too. He talks a lot about that. And, you know, if you look up and you look all the problems in your life square in the face, that's a lot different than if your mom's harping on you to clean your room. That you never happened I mean? to us growing up. No, my room was never messy. And mom will tell you that. Mom never yelled at me about my room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now we understand why. But also what you were just talking about, you know, the little things. Like you make your bed in, your, in the morning. Then you hit the gym. You have your second win. Then you, you know, you have your good breakfast. And then, you know, by by the time you're trying to confront somebody for a sell, how much momentum do you have? I think yeah, those and, are the sources and, and to of that confidence. Point, to that point, you if you think about it, how much more uh, detailed and advanced is I'm working through a cell at work with a potential client, with a prospect, and I'm confronting all their, you know, their barriers and their challenges they're throwing up to the cell. How much more advanced is that than making your bed in the morning? It's a lot more complex. And that's the thing is you start with the little things. You start with the little things you know you can win and you know you can control. And it spirals out and becomes bigger and better and better and better. And you're, you're cooking with steam. And it's not a foolproof system where you're, excuse me, where you're always going to win the cell because you made your bed in the morning. But you're going to have the wind at your back. You're going to have the wind at your back. You're going to be sailing with full speed ahead. Exactly. When I, like I said, I think that's the, the source of confidence a lot of the time is just keeping those little commitments to yourself. You know what I mean? Because I feel like every action is a vote for, vote, vote to your subconscious of who you really are. Every, for example, if you take it in maybe a physical example, every time you eat chicken and broccoli, what are you telling yourself? I'm dedicated to fitness. Every time you go and you hit the gym for an hour, what are you telling yourself? I'm dedicated to fitness. Every time you eat a donut, what are you telling yourself? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And what do you? What kind of identity are you putting on yourself? slobby sloppy one exactly and so you can take that almost into any sort of aspect in life finance you can do it in a spiritual matter as well you know every time i read my scriptures what am i telling myself i'm a spiritual person or i try to seek out spiritual things yeah so i think something that we're kind of circling around we're dancing around the fire a little bit of is it's important to notice the little wins it's important to notice the little positives in life. Yeah. Because if you notice it... Because they reinforce your identity it, as well, it, well, something. It reinforces your identity, but it, it gives you steam. If I just made my bed because I know I have to make my bed, is that going to give me the same amount of steam as me making my bed and saying, yeah, I just won that battle? No. Your attitude towards the thing will create a bigger, uh, a bigger impact. Yeah. And so if you notice the little positives in life, that's why, you know, you'll probably hear me and Dax complain a lot that 
that manhood and masculinity is faltering in this world a lot right now. It's faltering, but it's also being attacked. But exactly. But that being said, you know, we highlight every podcast manly moment we've had in the past little while, in the past week, the last day, whatever. And and focusing on that little thing makes you feel good. Makes you feel, yeah, okay, there's some hope in the world. Not saying Dax and I are the hope of the world, but if everybody took that on themselves to say, I'm going to focus on the next good thing and I'm going to do my best to accomplish that next good thing as best as I possibly can. Like Jordan Peterson says, you're creating a little piece of heaven. And like Dax wrote in this post, it spirals out and becomes bigger and better. You clean your room, all of a sudden, man, maybe I could pick up my house too. Pick up your house, all of a sudden, man, your house is a temple. And it's it's a place where your mind is clear and clean and things just feel good. And then how much influence does that have on the community? When on your family, family first. On family first, right? Yeah. And then, tight-knit. And then, like you said, it spirals into the community. And a good, tight-knit community spirals into a good nation. Everybody, I love this topic because everybody tries to start from the top and control it from the top down. But that way lies tyranny. Mm-hmm. If you start with yourself first then you're actually leading by example. Mm-hmm. And that's inspiring. Well, you can either try change someone from the outside in or the inside out. And that's actually what's really cool about Jordan Peterson's message is that he thinks that the strengthening, like strengthening the individual is what's going to be the solution to the polarization that we see in like society today. Because you have two camps, like left and right, so ex- like pretty extreme. Like There's a big rift in the country, right? 50% hates the other 50%, right? With good reason. With good reason, you know. But One half's trying to kill babies. Right. And I, and you know, we know where we stand with it. <laughs> but, like, at the same time, I think that, um, well, his theory, I won't say it's mine because I still need to think through it. But his theory is that by strengthening individuals on an individual basis, we'll be able to find solutions to these big societal issues a yeah. lot easier. Yeah, I like know? that. It's through the strengthening of the individual that we're going to overcome these things. Yeah. Well, Western thought, Western philosophy, Western civilization is individualistic. And even though Jordan Peterson's a Canadian, he did live in the greatest nation in the world for a little while while he taught at Harvard, the United States of America. I think he lives here now, doesn't he? No, he lives in Canada. Hey. Does he? Does in Canada, eh? Yeah, he does, eh? Oh, wow, eh? Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so... Frog, bro. Yeah, but no, America... Is, is known for being an individualistic place. And America, uh, Reagan put it this way, is a shining city, a shining light on a hill for the rest of the world to see and look up to. Mm-hmm. We are basically the epitome of Western ideals and Western philosophy and Western thought come to life mm-hmm. and given persona in a nation. Yeah. And that's why our founders created a government that was supposed to be, by nature, small, because the smaller the government, the bigger the individual. And our founders wanted big individuals, not big government. Mm-hmm. The bigger the government, the smaller the individual. That's Dennis Prager for you. But well, yeah, well, you look, you can see that in, in nations like China. You know what I mean? Government's huge. It's a communist state, 
how much influence or power does an individual have there? Well, they have concentration camps, so yeah, there you go. Yeah, tons. And, and we, it's, we should probably watch what we're saying. Apple might shut us down on our fourth podcast. But yeah, just like they did to Ben Shapiro and all the Daily Wire, right? Yeah, exactly. You suck, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like their phones. Oh, they make good AirPods, too. Yeah, good laptops. Why do you we, suck, Apple? Why do we buy them? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, Somebody needs time, to make better laptops that's a conservative. I have a question for you. Yeah. You have politics being permeated into everything. Like, I feel like before, so just so I can frame this, um, you, a lot of the times, we would argue about politics, I feel like, in the past, and then it'd be like, all right, let's go watch a basketball game. And then you sit next to the person that, you know, you don't necessarily agree with politically and you watch a basketball game and it's cheer for the same team. Or you say, all right, well, let's go buy a pair of Nike shoes, right? So you see politics permeating in, in sports. We see, you know, political slogans printed on fields. We see certain companies like Nike openly endorsing some political ideology. Do you think that we need to let... Do you think we need to be activists in every form of our life? Or do you think there's a time when it needs to be just shut off and you can just, you know, take a break from it? So two points to that. First point is I think, and and dad taught us this, but mm. politics is the most important thing in your life. It controls the most things in your life, second only to religion. Right. So religion is number one in importance and understanding in understanding religion. Politics is number two. One is what the, we where you get values. One is where you apply your values. Exactly. Now that being said, I I love that actually what you just said. Mm-hmm. One's where you get your values. One is where you I I would say should apply your values should. because I feel like a <laughs> lot a of people word. don't understand that. That being said, what we used to have in society. In, in our American society, and I hope we get it back one day, is we used to have these neutral grounds. Sports, entertainment. Uh, Nike shoes. Well, that, that kind of rolls into sports, though, right? Michael right. Jordan, who's a liberal, said, even Republicans buy shoes. Yeah. He's, he's famous for having said that, so that's why he didn't get political. Right. Now, you had all these, these things that brought us together, right? And... What's happened is they've been politicized. Words of Dennis Prager, the left ruins everything it touches. Okay? So the left creeps in on education. It ruins education. Ruins the higher institutions. Okay? Creeps into sports. It ruins sports. Yeah. You've got Black Lives Matter painted on a court, and you've got equality dunking on freedom, you know, well, and the, here's well, the ironic well, thing is well, those jerseys that have this, you know, the SJW slogans printed on the back were made in sweatshops. No, they were made in concentration camps in China. Yeah, and sweatshops too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But, yeah. And so what I'm getting at, though, is the left has effectively demolished all of our common neutral grounds. And they've politicized it to the point where for guys like us... We grew up watching the Denver Broncos, diehard Denver Broncos fans, knew everything about the team, right? We haven't watched a game in three and a half years. 
Yeah, I since, haven't watched one since my mission. I remember the day they took a knee, the Denver Broncos took a knee for the national anthem. Me and Dad turned the turned the game off. Yeah. And Marky, my wife, was sitting there with us, and she was like, what's going on? Like, she couldn't believe that we were doing that. Yeah. But it was, yeah, they took a knee, and we were like, we're done. Nope. And well, we I shut it off. But what I'm, what I'm getting at with all that, so... Politics is second only to religion and importance and understanding in life. Second, everything's been politicized. So with that, you've peeled off this this veneer of a place where we could neutrally go together, to be together, mm-hmm. and you've effectively made politics this bare-knuckle brawl, and it's the only thing that's left. That's what I'm saying. Like, Do you and think so, that there's a time when we should, you know... Do you think it needs to be, we need to be activists in every aspect of life? I think it's important to know when to stand up for your ideals and your, and your morals and your values. I think it's very important to understand how to, and I think you need to understand when you should do it. Okay. And when you should do it is when you have the ability to convince somebody. You don't want to f- throw your pearls before swine, so to speak. My, okay, I'll just be straightforward and more direct now because Sorry, my question comes from Charlie answer. Kirk because he he got up and and he said something that normally I agree with 98% of you know turning point a lot of what they say and a lot of what Charlie Kirk has to say but he was like you know politics has permeated every aspect of life therefore we have to be aspect or you know uh, not since politics has permeated every aspect of life we have to be activists in every aspect of life. And I'm like, dude, I'm not wired that way. I think the reason why it hit me that hard is because I'm just like, I can't be... Politics is tiring. I enjoy learning about politics. I think you should stay up on politics. I think you need to be able to defend your ideas. But at at some point, you do need a break. Yeah. And so when he got up and said, you know, it never ends, and you always have to be an activist, I'm like, that's kind of... Well, Looking here's for a cause there. I feel like conservatives here's what he's has saying, always though. classically been, you know, I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to go work on me. I'm going to go clean my room and influence my family, my community, and then I'm going to vote and I'm not going to worry about it. It was a more individualistic idea, not as much of like we're activists, we're going to change everything. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, to his point, the left is activist with everything they do. And so they will go boycott Bass Pro Shops because they think they're hurting fish. Right. They will bo- They will do that. And unfortunately, corporations are caving well, Goya, to that. because they think they're racist. Yeah. But Even there's a Latino country. Or Latino company. company, yeah. Yeah. That being said, right, corporations are kowtowing to that. And so what he's saying is we need to fight fire with fire, essentially, so that they start listening to our side as well. Or you just end up with two camps creating their own goods and services and never crossing over. At that point, you're a completely divided community, completely divided nation. I feel like that's where we're moving towards. We are. And that being said, um, another political commentator that I like to listen to, Michael Knowles, he said something kind of interesting that I like a lot. Now, he's a Catholic, so he's not right on everything. But... (laughs) he does have a, a fairly good perspective right. on, on a lot of things. Um, even if it's more Forrest Gumpish, I'm going to heaven, Lieutenant Dan, right? Yeah. 
Um, we love Catholics. We love Catholics. They're great. Um, they're our friends. Now it's more secular versus religion versus yeah, than yeah. religion. Yeah, if, if you're religion. a Christian, if you're a Christian, we, or even we if you believe in 90%, God, like, you're our friend. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I'm good-naturedly joking about it. I get you. But what he said is conservatives classically have this idea in the back of our head that we know where our eternal reward is. Christians have that in their heads. Christians do. Yeah. Um, Because they know, we know in the end, everything's going to get really, really, really bad. And then it's all of a sudden going to be second coming and everything's going to be good. And final judgment, we all go to heaven and live happily ever after. If you were a good person. If you were one of the good people. Right? (laughs) Then you move on into everlasting life. Right? But one thing that I thought was really wise is he said, but it doesn't have to happen today. And it's, and it's up to us whether or not it's going to get really, really, really bad today or tomorrow. Today is our day to fight. Tomorrow we can't worry about. But if we can hold the good for a little bit longer, then we did our point. We did our part. It's always our part to fight for the good. And I used to think like you. It's a little bit easier to think like that when you're single and a little bit more carefree. And now, for those of you out there, out there listening to us, Dax is not the most carefree individual. He's very focused on what he does. He's very goal-oriented and goes after it. Something I admire in you, brother. Thanks, man. That being said, there was a switch. I, I used to think like you when I was in college. When I got married, it was like a switch flipped in my brain. And I went, okay, now I'm a husband. I have a family. I have a marriage. I have a wife to take care of and to look out for and preside over and protect. That, in, that means I have to understand things, what's going on at a, at a higher level. I need to be able to see things coming down the pipe. And it just was reinforced even more when I became a father that I really need to do that. But the urge to fight harder hit me more when I became a father. It was more like I can understand it and maneuver. That's what I need to do. That's the way I was thinking as when I got married. When I became a father, it was like, now I got to understand it, be able to maneuver and punch back. Because I'm trying to create a world that's okay for my daughter. And not just a place where I can live. And then in, you know, 60 years or whatever, 60, 80 years, die, right? And move on. No, I want somewhere where my daughter and her kids can thrive and be happy as well. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, circling back to the post a little bit, the most influential thing you can do is be a good father teach Quinn you know good values Quinn's my daughter by the way yeah you know that's those are the types of things that I think are going to have a bigger impact than anything else yeah raising a good family you know because like you said that like that will ripple through the macro yeah I agree 100 percent but that's why I think it's important to fight yeah and and I think not saying I'm like on a different level than you or anything I think I'm just at a different point in life and I think when you get to that point where you have kids 
and it, I hate it. I, I usually hate it when people say this. You'll understand when you have kids. It's like, you're a jerk. You, you know, it's like, I'm an adult. I can understand things. And I know you do. But it, it hits home a lot harder. Yeah. And, and you see things and, and it, it affects you different. Because you're going, it, it, I've, I've heard it described like this. When you're a parent, it's a blessing because, because you get to see the world anew again. It's like you're seeing it through your kid's eyes. You're going, okay, how's my kid going to interpret this and see this? How's that going to make them grow up? How's that going to make them develop? And is it going to help them develop into the person that they should be? And that's why it's important to fight. But just like you said, it starts with number one. you got to make yourself the best possible. As a dad, I want to be a good example of a man so that my, my daughter grows up, sees how I treat her mom, and goes, that's how I want to be treated. I want a real man for a husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's going to have more of an impact on the big things than anything else. Yeah, and then she raises a righteous posterity and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She looks up to her uncle, you know. She was, she was oh, no. flirting with you hardcore She's today. Gonna... <laughs> flirting. She was. She was grinning at she you, She was man. giggling. It was fun. But I also think that, like, not only is it the most productive way to you know change the world focusing on the small i mean is i i think that it also reduces anxiety i feel like you know you hear so many people now saying they struggle with anxiety and depression and those kind of things i think one of the the reasons why people get so anxious is because they they're they're worried about the future and i think that having this mentality of today i'm going to make my bed today i'm going to do my best at school Today I'm going to do my best at work. Today I'm going to do my best at everything I do. But starting with those little things, it reduces the anxiety for the future because you're focused on the little things. And as those little things get taken care of in your life, the big things obviously come together as well. You I, know what I mean? I agree. Like that mentality has got me through so much. I remember there were times on my mission, there was an area I was in in the middle of Puerto Rico that it rained almost every day it felt like. And there were seemed like 10 people and a bar. And we were supposed to go out and find people to teach. Teach what? Teach the gospel, you know. And and so I remember just getting to the point where I was like, I'm literally going to just focus on what I have to do for the next hour. Yeah. The next hour I have to read my scriptures. And then I'm not going to worry about the rest of the day. I plan it out and I have an idea of what's going to happen. But I'm going to worry about executing it. What's in front of me right now. And I feel like especially in times of take the next correct step yeah well i feel like in times of stress and fatigue is when you really got to just zero in on what's right in front of you yep and that is the best reducer of anxiety at least that i've found you know the gym doesn't work (laughs) as much as i love it you can go sink your anxiety or your your anger into the gym and a lot of time it doesn't go away It, it helps it helps but it'll you know release those endorphins for 30 40 minutes and you're gonna feel great and it's a win. Give like you some we steam for about. the next thing. Right. But it's not going to solve all your problems. Yeah, exactly. And it's really difficult in life to find that thing that will solve all your problems. That's probably but fodder think- for another podcast. But just to your point, I, I had the same thing occur with um, just work this week. Um when when you come back after taking a day off, I had a sick day, 
it, I've heard people say it takes two days to make up for one missed day. And the work piles up and it gets stressful and your anxiety builds up. And I remember thinking to myself, just do the first thing. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I, I remember I got to my office and I had stuff littered all over my desk and I had to get all this stuff done. And I'm, I, I'm on commission. So it's like, my time is money. I got to make things happen. And I just thought, get the first thing done, get the next thing done, get the next thing done. Just, just start, just start working, just start doing it. And as I did that, all of a sudden I had a killer, crazy, productive week and became my manly moment for the week. Yeah. You know, I provided for my family really well. I did a good thing. Mm-hmm. Had a killer week so far. And I'm going to have a killer day tomorrow at it. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. Do the next thing. Focus on the little thing first. And you'll create a better world for yourself and those around you. Yep. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Unless you got anything else to add, bro. Nope. Great topic. Join us next time to discuss off-limit topics, tough questions with a manly perspective.